everyone, and welcome to His Health, the show where we're tackling the health issues that are most important to men. I'm your host, Rick Malambri, and we're going inside the topics that men of all ages need to know and taking you out of the comfort zone when it comes to those health issues that men don't normally like to discuss. So let's get started. Today, we have Dr. James Kwan back with us. Dr. Kwan is a urologist with Swedish Medical Center in Seattle, Washington. He is board certified with the American Board of Urology and a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons of Canada. He also has a practice focused on men's health and male sexual dysfunction. His Health Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Providence and Boston Scientific. And today we are discussing enlarged prostates, what we as men need to know about this issue, and what are the treatments for it. Now remember everyone, many of our questions come from our listeners on social media, and we can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. All right, so let's get started by welcoming our expert today, Dr. Kwan. It's nice to have you back with us, Dr. Kwan. But for those who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm a urologist and I work at Swedish Medical Center in Seattle. Um, I practice a mix of general urology with a primary focus on men's health and men's sexual dysfunction. Gotcha. And today's discussion is all about enlarged prostate. Can you explain to us what it is and just how common it is? Uh, I would start by saying that most men are going to have issues or at least enlarged prostate starting in our 30s and 40s, our prostates start to grow. And um, this is usually a result of our genetics, so the things we inherit, and then a result of maybe the hormonal factors, um, the balance of our, our hormones. Um, but all men's prostates grow, and with a few rare exceptions, that is. Um, not all men are going to be bothered or have significant symptoms of an enlarged prostate. That said, most men can expect some change in their urinary function over time. As they age, and and most most commonly, that change is related to prostate growth. Mm-hmm. And is this something that starts to affect men of a certain age, or can any male experience an enlarged prostate? I I suppose any man can, but typically the earliest we'll see problems is maybe men in their forties. Um, more commonly, men will start uh, coming to see us in their fifties and seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, some of the same symptoms of prostate enlargement can affect younger men, but oftentimes it's other things like maybe a prostate infection or a urinary blockage, like some scar tissue. And so, so there's other causes of the same symptoms. Okay. Now I've heard the acronym BPH before. What is BPH? And is this the same thing as an enlarged prostate? Yeah, BPH uh, refers to benign prostate hyperplasia, meaning it's not cancerous growth of the prostate. And and when we say enlarged prostate, when we say BPH, we're we're referring to the same things. Okay. Now, could you tell us a few of the most common symptoms of an enlarged prostate? Are there certain signs that men should look out for? Yeah, you know, in the past we used to call these symptoms prostatism because they related to the prostate. And, and now we refer to them as LUTs or lower urinary tract symptoms. And um, I think it's helpful for us uh, when we're looking at the problem to think of the symptoms really as one of two types, either irritative or obstructive. Um, 
prostates grow and they cause blockage of the urine flow. And so the obstructive symptoms that men may experience are difficulty starting the stream, a slow stream, a stream that stops and starts, and they may experience dribbling, and then a sensation of incomplete emptying, or they may actually retain some urine, meaning they don't completely empty the bladder. Irritative symptoms um, are a result of the bladder muscle becoming stronger. When there's obstruction, the bladder, which is a muscle, it has to adapt by, by squeezing stronger. And just like lifting weights and muscles in the arms getting bigger and stronger, the bladder does the same thing. And, and, and when that happens, what, we, what we'll experience is a frequent uh, urination or a, a strong urge to urinate. Sometimes that's associated with incontinence. And then actually one of the first symptoms that a lot of men will experience is getting up at nighttime. And that's often a symptom that starts for men in their 40s. So would you consider BPH to be the same in the same realm as having an overactive bladder? No, I think in technical terms, they are different. You know, BPH is prostate enlargement and it refers to the prostate. And overactive bladder as a condition refers specifically to a scenario where the bladder has increased sensitivity. It can present with irritative symptoms like frequency, urgency, incontinence, and getting up at nighttime, Um, but it's different. All of that said, a large percentage of men who have prostate enlargement Mm -hmm. will also develop symptoms of OAB or overactive bladder. Um, And so as a result, probably about 15 to 30% of men that we treat for prostate enlargement, we may use some of the same treatments that we would prescribe for overactive bladder to treat those symptoms in men with enlarged prostate. Ah. Are there any possible risk factors that one could avoid or stop doing to alleviate the potential of developing BPH? Well, I'd love to say we could stop the aging process or, or we had the technology to change the genetics, which ultimately predispose us to prostate enlargement, um, because these are probably the most significant risk factors. Uh, that said, um, there is some hypothesis and evidence to suggest that perhaps men who are diabetic or men who have heart disease um, could have an increased risk. Specifically, there's a group of medications called beta blockers, mm-hmm. which might increase the, the, the sensitivity to the symptoms of prostate enlargement. Um, similarly, there's some hypothesis that men who are obese um, or inactive, they may also experience the symptoms more intensely or sooner. And when, when should someone experiencing symptoms visit the doctor and should they see a primary care physician first or would a urologist be the best choice? Usually the onset of the symptoms is gradual. And while there's acute presentations like uh, a urinary tract infection or the inability to urinate, um, most of the time men will start this discussion with their primary care doctor. In fact, about 20% of primary care visits um, are initiated because of a urinary complaint. And so for men, this is a common thing they'll talk about. Um, Primary care can take care of this because they're often familiar with the lifestyle and dietary changes that we would recommend. And they've become very comfortable prescribing a lot of the first line medications for prostate enlargement. Of course, seeing a urologist um, means you're seeing the person who has 
more tools to address all aspects of prostate enlargement. Um, but usually the men we're seeing are referred after some of the initial trials and treatments have been ineffective. Um, I think it's important to say though that the presence of symptoms doesn't necessarily mean that treatment is required. When we talk about prostate enlargement, it often becomes a, a discussion about quality of life or what we call symptom bother. How much are you bothered by your symptoms? And, and some men will say they can live with them. Some say it's a nuisance, but not a problem. Um, and so those men may choose to not have treatment. But that said, there are some men who, even with very mild symptoms, might be quite distressed, especially if they're getting up several times a night and can't fall, fall asleep easily. Right. I think men should be a bit more concerned and seek more immediate care if they are getting recurrent urinary tract infections or they feel like their bladder is distended and they can't urinate. Um, and I think a urologist at that point is going to be needed to take care of those issues. Gotcha. Now, how do you test for BPH and what, what should a patient expect if they come to see you with these symptoms? Well, BPH is often diagnosed based on history alone, meaning what are the symptoms uh, a man is having? We, we like to think of common things being common. And so when we see a man who describes getting up at night, has frequency, maybe slowing of the stream, um, in most of our opinions, we're going to think that that person is BPH um, until proven otherwise. And, uh, and that is unless, you know, there's another cause which ultimately reveals itself. Um, in terms of what we do, it's important for men to have a prostate exam um, that can give us a rough estimate of size. Also make sure that there's nothing abnormal suggestive of cancer. And in that same vein, we usually recommend that men, if they're of an age of 55, uh, they have a PSA, which is the prostate blood test. It helps us rule out men who have prostate cancer who might need a prostate biopsy. If a man comes to our office specifically for prostate enlargement, we commonly ask them to do what's called a Euroflow test. This measures the rate of, of, of urination. They pee into a funnel that measures the rate. And then we'll often do a, a, an ultrasound bladder scan to make sure that they're empty. And this measures how much urine is left in the bladder after voiding. And based on this, uh, usually we can make a recommendation for first-line treatment. Um, in a few other scenarios, we might obtain blood tests for kidney function or ultrasounds. And then in men uh, who aren't responding or whose symptoms don't fit a, a typical pattern, we may pass a small telescope called a cystoscopy in through the urethra, through the prostate, in the bladder. And then, of course, as specialists, we have even more complicated tests. And there's a group of tests called urodynamics, which, which really tests the function of our bladder um, as it fills and it, as it empties. Um, most of us will often consider this if a guy's presented to us not, not being able to pee, you know, has a catheter before we, be, be, before we make a decision about treatment. Uh-huh. Great information. Uh, now, from my understanding, BPH means that there's a benign growth within the prostate, but could, you, could BPH be a possible cause of prostate cancer? No, um, BPH does not lead to prostate cancer. You know, this is benign growth versus malignant growth, which is prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not uncommon that, that some men with BPH will 
ultimately be diagnosed with prostate cancer. That's if we're doing our job and doing the right screening. And then many men with prostate cancer, if we look at that statement in reverse, mm-hmm. come to a, a, have enlarged prostates, um, you know, and that becomes a factor when we discuss their treatment. But uh, BPH happens in a different part of the prostate than prostate cancer. I like to think of the prostate for this part of the discussion as being like a navel orange. You know, there's the thick outer rind. That's mm-hmm. where prostate cancer occurs. That's called the peripheral zone. And then there's the inner pulp, um, which is called the transitional zone. And that's the part that surrounds the urethra that grows in BPH that causes the symptoms we're talking about. Okay. Well, let's dig into some of the treatment options available for enlarged prostate. Can you give an idea of what one would be looking at here? Yeah. um, You know, usually we're going to start with oral medications. And these are the workhorses of urology. And um, these may include medications by the names of Tamsulosin or Flomax, Psilidocin or Rapaflow, Alfuzosin or Uroxitrol. And then there's an older uh, set of meds in this same category, Terazosin um, and Doxazosin being two of the common ones. What these medications do is they relax the prostate, meaning you've got all this tissue that's causing obstruction of the urethra and the urine flow. And if we can relax that outer rind, if we can relax that capsule of the prostate, it moves some of that tissue out of the way. And in doing so, allows for freer urine flow and then allows the bladder to to relax Hence, they have less frequency and urgency. It doesn't treat the underlying cause, which is prostate enlargement. And and so we often use a second class of medications, which are called 5-alpha reductase inhibitors. And these actually shrink the prostate. So so they can be preventative. And um, when they're used in combination with, with that first class of medications, it usually is the most effective way for men to reduce their chance of having bad symptoms, developing a urinary tract infection, needing a catheter, or needing surgery to take care of their prostate enlargement. Mm-hmm. The name of those medications are finasteride or Proscar, and then Dutastride or Avodart. Um, some of the listeners may be familiar with, with the medication Propecia. Propecia is actually a low dose of one of these medications, um, and it helps men keep their hair. Um, So that's one of the benefits. Um, If medication uh, doesn't uh, satisfy the symptoms, meaning the quality of life or the degree of symptom bother uh, is still a problem in spite of being on the medications, or someone is having side effects with the medications, these might be stuffed up nose, lightheadedness when you jump out of a chair. Um, they can even affect sexual function where they, they lower sex drive or the sensation of orgasm. And, and so if those things are present and people are bothered by them, or if men are developing um, recurrent infections or they can't urinate, this is when we'll look at some of the procedures. And, and, and these are really divided into to three categories. There are what we call minimally invasive um, therapies, which are done in the office. And then there's endoscopic surgical type procedures, which are done in the OR. 
And then there's a, a, a larger procedure for men with large prostates. And, and so touching on each of those, the two office procedures that are most widely used are called Urolift um, and Resume. And these are done generally with some numbing medication and some light sedation in the office. And with Urolift, what happens is, is we are sitting inside the prostate with our scope and there's really these two small bands and we can place several bands that after we pierce the prostate from the inside, it pinches it and it actually moves the tissue permanently out of the way, um, creating a, a wider open funnel. Um, the benefit is it's done in the office and it, and it may actually have less risk of sexual side effects compared to some of the other, other treatments. Resume is a little bit different, also performed in the office. And, and this is what we refer to as needle ablation. And, and what that means is uh, through the scope, we identify the areas where there's blocking, blockage from tissue growth. And with a treatment needle, we place that into the tissue and we treat the, the, the prostate with steam. And, and if we treat for nine seconds in a given area, we then finish that treatment, remove to all the areas where we see obstruction. That steam ultimately changes uh, the cells, causing them to undergo cell death, which over about six or eight weeks will slough off like a sunburn, and in that time, open up the passage. Um, and so these are often done for, for men with um, normal size to moderately enlarged prostates. Um, when prostates get a little bit bigger or they grow in certain ways, uh, many of us prefer to do more definitive removal of tissue uh, rather than the procedures we just talked about. And, and really the gold standard and, and, and the procedure that has been done for decades, probably a hundred plus years, is something called a transurethral resection of the prostate or TURP, what we refer to as a TURP. And mm -hmm. a lot of the old guys will refer to this as a rotor rooter or akin to boring out the tunnel. Um, okay. And this is done in the operating room, either with a spinal or a general anesthetic. And with a telescope, we'll go in and actually scrape using a small loop to, to make the tunnel bigger, removing the tissue that's in the way. And so visually, we get to see things uh, remove and, and, and we continue until we're happy with, with, the, new, with the new channel. Um, using laser is another way to do that. Mm -hmm. Instead of scraping the tissue, laser very quickly uh, raises the temperature, ultimately turning the tissue into, uh, you know, carbon dioxide, uh, charred tissue and water. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then that is ultimately flushed out, opening up the channel. And then there's a small group of men who have very, very large prostates where medications may be helpful, but when the prostate gets really big, those men are at risk for problems down the road. And, and, and doing things like the scraping and the laser are not always effective, meaning we can do them technically, but men will still have symptoms or they'll need a procedure over and over again. Um, we've learned uh, that these men are better to have surgical procedures where we don't actually remove the whole prostate, but we go in and we remove the pulp of the orange and we leave the, the whole rind behind. Um, mm. Traditionally, this has been done with an open operation, but 
But with, you know, the, the introduction of robotic surgery and the experience of the surgeons who use the robot, a lot of times this is done in a minimally invasive way using the robot. And, and this really gets all of that tissue out of the way. Wow. Sounds like there's quite a few treatments you can choose from. There is, and there will always be more. Everybody's always looking for something new. In fact, we've got a couple of other things um, on the horizon that are being considered that, that, that aren't ready yet. Very nice. We'll be back with more on enlarged prostates right after this short break. Going to the bathroom every half hour isn't normal, which could be a sign of an enlarged prostate or BPH, and it's not something you need to live with. Resume Water Vapor Therapy treats the cause of your BPH so you can get back to your life. This short in-office treatment shrinks your prostate, providing relief from your BPH symptoms. No surgery, no drugs. To learn more about the risks and benefits of Resume Therapy, visit Resume.com. That's R-E-Z-U-M.com. Or ask your urologist. And for more information on Boston Scientific, visit BostonScientific.com.
His health is back with our guest, Dr. Kwan, and we're discussing enlarged prostates and what men need to know. Now, are there certain treatments that you would usually recommend trying first? Yeah, you know, we're always going to recommend that uh, people make some dietary changes. Common foods irritate things like citrus foods, spicy foods, caffeine, and alcohol. That's going to address things like the irritative symptoms. Um, men who hold their urine for too long and people who require a lot of decongestants, maybe in allergy season, things mm -hmm. like Sudafed may actually have a higher risk of not being able to urinate. Um, so letting people know that those can be factors and, and certainly other medications can be factors. You know, we talked about overactive bladder. Sometimes yeah. men with prostate enlargement who are given those medications, if we're not treating their bladders, um, they might retain urine. And so sometimes all we have to do is stop that and their urination improves. All of that said, um, there's a lot of prostate supplements that are available. Again, I've mentioned before, I don't feel strongly one way or the other. If there is a supplement that may be helpful, saw palmetto uh, has been around for decades. And, mm -hmm. and I certainly hear from men that it helps them. And I hear from other men that it doesn't. But usually, as I said, we start with the medications, the alpha blocker medications, and then um, we'll often add the prostate shrinking medications to, to, to ultimately consolidate the treatment. Um, and then if there is a lot of frequency and urgency, once we are treating the prostate enlargement with those medications, I think it's a lot safer for us to then consider using some of the overactive bladder medications that can quiet the bladder, reducing frequency and urgency. Gotcha. I think one of the major concerns a lot of people may have is, does health insurance cover the costs of these treatments? Uh, it, it can, and it usually does, especially when we're talking about medications. Um, the medications I've referred to are, I think, all generic. Many of them have been around for decades, and, and we think that they're, they're quite safe. And so these are usually well covered. And what some men may find is that their plan may cover one preferably over another plan, but, but it's, it would be unusual for us to not get these medications covered. So they're gonna be inexpensive. Um, they're gonna be things that people take long-term because when you stop them, the symptoms will often come back. And, mm -hmm. and, and so cost is a factor there, but, but that said, usually not an issue. The newer office-based treatments, the minimally invasive treatments that I refer to like Resume and Eurolift, um, while these are excellent treatments, not all insurance carriers are on board. And, and so, uh, most offices, ourselves included, are going to request prior authorization, okay. um, just to make sure before we do one of those procedures. And then usually by the time we're considering surgery, like the resection or the laser or the surgical removal, um, these are generally considered medically necessary. And it would be very uncommon for one of these procedures not to be covered. This doesn't fall into the elective or, or cosmetic type categories where, where insurance companies will say no. So usually BPH, because it's a medical condition mm -hmm. with medical consequences if left untreated, is going to have the treatment options covered. Yeah, makes sense. Before we wrap up this episode, is there anything else you'd like to add to our audience to, to know about enlarged prostates or BPH? 
Well, I think just touching on a few of the things we've already mentioned, it, it's going to happen to all of us. The presence of symptoms doesn't mean that you have to have treatment, but when it's bothersome, uh, getting help from your primary doctor or urologist is is usually going to to take care of the issue. I commonly say 85% of men are going to be well-managed with medications. Um, in the past, it used to be 100% of men needed surgery because we didn't have the medications. And so with good medications, most men aren't going to need a lot of these uncomfortable or intrusive things that we've talked about. And, and really the importance of addressing these is, you know, to you know, help men with their quality of life, but also to reduce a man's risk of urinary tract infection or needing a catheter. Um, and in some really rare cases, uh, uh, an enlarged prostate can lead to kidney failure. And so, so I think if a man is having some symptoms, even if it's not causing a, a significant degree of distress, mm -hmm. it still might be worth having the discussion just to make sure that there's no other red flags or, or signs of other complications of prostate enlargement. Yeah. Well, we have a couple of social questions to go through and then we will be done. Aman from Twitter asks, are there any natural remedies for preventing or treating an enlarged prostate? Well, as I mentioned, there are a whole bunch of uh, supplements that are available. Um, there's the men's daily vitamins, there are prostate-specific supplements, and then there's sort of unique supplements. And what a lot of these are going to have are things like zinc, they'll have saw palmetto, they may have garlic, ginkgo, they may have pygeum, pumpkin seed oil. Um, these are kind of the common things that are being promoted as helpful. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have evidence to say that they quote unquote prevent or, or have significant impact in terms of treating enlarged prostate. But like I said, um, I have men who swear by some of these things and without them, they would be on medications. Um, and and they may even require a procedure. And, and so it's something I think that a lot of men will try. I think it's reasonable for them to try. And if it helps without side effects, I think they're safe to continue. Um, that's, that's my general observation. Okay. And last one, Joe from Instagram asks, I've heard that pain in my pelvis, thighs, or lower back while sitting could be a sign of an enlarged prostate. Is this true? I tend to say no um, to this. And, you know, a lot of guys will ask this question sort of with the notion that a bigger prostate takes up more space and it creates more pressure in our pelvis and can cause thigh and low back and pelvic pain. Mm -hmm. um, even guys with giant prostates, and we see them six, seven, eight, ten times normal size. Wow. Uh, they will have, you know, few urinary symptoms and they're not going to have pain. What, what a pain like this may imply if we're talking about the prostate is actually a prostate infection. I, I commonly say, if you can feel your prostate, you know, you feel like you're sitting on a golf ball or a tennis ball and there's a little bit of pressure there. Mm -hmm. um, that's more typical for infection or inflammation in the prostate. Uh, and so 
that is something that might actually improve with a course of antibiotics. Um, even though we use some of the same prostate enlargement medications for prostate infection, mm -hmm. these types of symptoms are more commonly going to be uh, prostate infection if they are in fact related to the prostate. I would also just add to this question uh, or to the answer that it's unlikely also that this could be a sign of prostate cancer. You know, I think it's important for us just to alleviate that concern. Um, because usually, again, it, it, it's inflammatory or infectious. And, and so in this scenario, um, probably getting a urinalysis, making sure there's not an infection, and then maybe a course of antibiotics is going to take care of those symptoms. Gotcha. Thank you once again, Dr. Kwan, for joining us today on His Health. Our friends at Boston Scientific for sponsoring the show. And to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to continuing the conversation on men's health with more experts from Providence in future episodes. Also, make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or on your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on social media where we can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission programs and services, go to Providence.org. Thank you for listening and stay healthy.